I haven't um, worn this robe since I think the first Sunday in March. I, I literally forgot how to put it on. I put it on wrong this morning. I had to think about it. And then I had the mask on while I was putting the robe on and I thought I, I look less like priest and more like surgeon getting ready for surgery. How the world can change so quickly, amen? Oh my gosh, the difference between now and last February. Well, um, let me talk a little bit about uh, the scripture first in a more general sort of way. Uh, to be honest, I've always been um, a little baffled by folks that really want the Bible to be literally true. Okay? It's all true, but it doesn't have to be literally true to be true. I'm so hungry I can eat a horse. Is that literally true? No, thank God. But if you heard me say that, you would know that it is true that I'm very, very hungry, right? It's especially true in poetry. Poetry uses images in a way of speaking that uh, evokes something that's true, even though it might not be literally true. And that's the challenge of the Bible, because large parts of the Bible are poetry, songs, poems. And uh, again, poems have a way of evoking something that's very true, but maybe not in a very straightforward, literal sort of way. Take Shakespeare, for example. Take the balcony scene of Romeo and Juliet, and you could write that in praise, uh, pro prose, and Shakespeare could say, well, there was Juliet on the balcony, and the sun was rising, and she looked pretty. Okay? Or you can say, but soft what light through yonder window breaks. It is the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief. That thou, her maid, are far more than she. The brightness of her cheek would shame the stars. Hmm? Now, is Juliet literally the sun? Is the moon literally envious? Are the stars literally shamed? No, but the poetry evokes something deep and profound and wonderful and true in expressing how being in love can feel. In the same way, in, in Scripture, the Scripture gets excited about what's happening. This idea that God is doing something brand new and it's going to be amazing and joyful. And it's going to be so amazing that the trees will clap their hands. The hills will sing for joy. The mountains will skip like lambs. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. Faithfulness will spring up from the ground. Taste and see that the Lord is good. All poetical ways of evoking and appealing to our hope and our imagination and our joy that the impossible possibility that God is doing something new and wonderful and amazing and that future and unexpected radical newness is actually very close at hand. Impossible. 
The scripture read earlier with the Advent candle from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, after 39 chapters of unrelenting doom and gloom and destruction and punishment, breaks out into jubilant poetry about an unexpected and an undeserved joyful future for these sinful, rebellious, stiff-necked people. Comfort. Comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to them that her service has ended. That her sin has been paid for. Suddenly Isaiah speaks of comfort and forgiveness and joyful future to these broken, enslaved Israelites who have had home and temple destroyed, carted off into economic slavery, foreigners in a foreign pagan land where normal is not normal. The new normal is unwanted and where the future looks no better than the present and no better than the painful past. It seems to them like maybe there's nothing new in the world. But something is new. And it's coming your way, Isaiah says. Make, plain, make smooth the plain, the valleys, the mountains. Because your God is coming. There's an old hymn based on this scripture. And one of the lyrics is, Now prepare for God away. Let the valley rise up in meeting. Let the hills bow down in greeting. Behold, here is your God. The Israelites are in exile. Their old world is completely gone. Uh, it's always been rather challenging for me to uh, relate to the exile experience uh, Naturally so, and I don't know that I relate to it all that much better, but it's interesting how a pandemic can make certain parts of the scripture come alive in fresh new ways. They were in exile from normal. Their usual festivities, gone. Their usual public gatherings, gone. Their normal ways of celebrating their year, gone. Can you relate to that a little bit? church huh one day seems like another do we have a future who knows all we know one thing for sure is a little bit of good news would feel so good a little bit of comfort 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 my people god help us please forgive us do something brand new I think the temptation during this time, maybe as a church, maybe individually, I've been thinking about this. The temptation as a church, I think, is to hunker down, play it safe, wait it out, tread water, wait until it's over, adapt to the new normal of nothingness. And I got to thinking about that. And, and this last Thursday when we were doing our weekly video, I, I talked about that. I said the temptation is just to wait it out until it's over. But, but what if we just start praying for revival? 
What if we say to God, even during this time of kind of nothingness and limitation, that you might do something incredibly new and amazing, that you might wake us up with an incredible revival. And so church, I want you to pray for that. I want you to pray for revival. Something that would happen that would make the trees clap their hands. Well, after we did the video, I went home and I realized that I, I kind of forgot to, to let the other shoe drop in that. Because what I really wanted to say was I wanted to say, church, I want you to pray for revival. And here's how I want you to pray. Lord, revive our church and let it begin with me. Ooh. Okay, that sounds a little risky. That sounds like I might have to do something different. That sounds like maybe I might have to change in order for this to happen. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. We always read John the Baptist on the second Sunday in Advent, and he says the revival is headed your way. Make smooth the highway for the Lord. The Messiah is headed your way. The Messiah is on his way. Now repent. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I liked that first part. Not too sure about the second part. Repent. Repent's not the same as guilt. Guilt is more about feelings. Repent is about actions. Repent is to change what you're doing and do something different. And what does that have to do with our need for Jesus? Come on, Jesus. Fix it. Get here. Make it right. Take care of us. But repent? What do I need to repent of? This scripture in Isaiah particularly the part about where it says the grass fades, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever has a, has a kind of personal significance for me. I was sharing uh, with our little lectionary group that when I was in my 20s, my life was okay, but I just had made a lot of big decisions that turned out to be the wrong decisions. And I felt like I had gone up into a kind of emotional box canyon and I didn't really know how to get out of that. And Brenda had a, a sister. Uh, we were living in Austin and her sister said, hey, we're going to this uh, startup church and it's pretty cool. Why don't you go to church with us? Okay. So we went to church and I liked it. And we're worshiping and we're praying and it felt good. And Sunday school. Well, maybe we should go to Sunday school. Okay, there was a young adult class. And they didn't know anything more than I knew. But it felt pretty good to be doing it together. Knowing that we all had some of the same questions. And we all had some of the same struggles. And then the pastor offered this thing called Trinity Bible Study. It was a 12-week overview of the Bible. It was kind of like a primitive predecessor to disciple Bible study. And kind of on a whim, I signed up for it. And I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. They gave us this little card. And on this little card, it said, the grass 
fades and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And, and that kind of nailed it for me that my life felt like everything is going to fade. Everything. But there's something transcendent and enduring that I think I might could be a part of. I remember one time someone asking Brenda, what did you think about George going into the ministry? Because that wasn't the original part of the marriage contract, okay? And she said he was so unhappy. I didn't care what he did. As long as he could find that happiness again. Here we are, we're... We're praying and we're worshiping and we're studying the Word and and something is going on. And it it felt like here's this whole world of newness and potential and future that's just been so close by and I didn't know it. And and here it is. What do I need to repent of? Maybe just the idea that nothing new is going to happen. That the way things are are just the way things are. Jackie was reminding me of, of when we did worship last Easter. And we were doing live stream only and we were using nearly all canned music. And there was maybe six of us here on Easter morning. And I did the sermon for the first service. And after the first service, Brenda came up to me and she said, you need to smile. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, it's resurrection day. Is it possible that this is all true? I don't know if the trees are going to clap their hands, but maybe there's incredible newness and possibility and future. And I guess that's what Christmas reminds us of. There's something wonderful happening and some see it and some don't. The power politicians don't see it, but these sheep herders see it. There's something new and amazing going on, but... Mary and Joseph, small town kids, they see it. Mary dances to it. My soul will magnify the Lord because God is doing something in my life. Maybe they've been praying. I don't know. But this Advent Christmas season, let us do that very thing. Let us dare to say God revival bring revival into our lives and give me the eyes and the courage to repent, to change to do whatever I need so that it begins with me